Mike Slater, Let Your Voice Be Heard. This is Episode 79 on Kelly Bagla's Go Legal Yourself podcast. Welcome to the Go Legal Yourself podcast. This show is about knowing the legal life cycle of your business. Welcome to the Go Legal Yourself podcast. I'm your host, Attorney Kelly Bagler, the Queen of Business Law. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Mike Slater. Mike is the host of the Mike Slater Show, which airs on KFMB in San Diego. He's also a public personality who speaks on American values, an author, and a fellow entrepreneur. Welcome to the show, Mike. Uh, Kelly, how are you? I'm fantastic as always. How are you? Fantastic. Thanks for having me here. I just want to let everyone know that Kelly is my lawyer. She's the one who made my business a reality. We're working on my living trust right now. And I busted a mirror the other day and got seven years bad luck. But my lawyer thinks she can get me five. (laughs) What do we think? I love it. I love it. Thank you for going right into that joke. Listen. I know you've helped me with my bit. Help me. You made my business reality. You'll help me with my living trust. I hope I never get in any criminal <laughs> trouble. <laughs> I don't know if you ever do criminal law, but I hope I never have to call you for that. I have people, Mike. If you need anything, you, you call me, but I've got people. <laughs> that was a wonderful joke. I haven't actually heard that one. <laughs> so it feels a bit a little weird for you because you're on the opposite side of the mic, right? Every day you are in front of the mic, you're talking to the audience. And today I have the pleasure of interviewing you. So here we go. I love it. I don't get asked questions. I, I make a, I have a living asking questions. I don't exactly. answer questions. But I hope I can do okay for you. You're going to do wonderful. Okay. So the title of this episode, Mike, is Let Your Voice Be Heard. Okay. So you don't just wake up one day and become a radio host. So tell us a little about yourself and how did you obtain the, the fame that you're enjoying so much right now? I give you the short of the story. I grew up in Syracuse, New York, and every morning my family would read the newspaper. And I distinctly remember my brother and I would sit at like the island counter seats, and then my mom and dad would sit at the kitchen table, and my dad would start with the newspaper, and every section that he would finish, he would put down, and then my mom would pick it up, and then my brother would pick it, and I would get the scraps. I was the youngest. But I would okay, always, I'm if the I youngest could, too, Mike. <laughs> perfect. So we can relate of scraps. <laughs> I would always try to go right to the opinion section, though, in the lo- for the local newspaper. And I, I always was attracted to the opinion section and people writing letters to the editor and everything. So... It was that. And then I would listen to some talk radio. And I remember uh, the one guy in particular, Jim Reith. I don't even think he's there anymore. Actually, I'm certain he's not there. He was the local host in Syracuse. And whatever he talked about on the radio, we would talk about as a family that night around the dinner table. And mostly local stuff in Syracuse. And I just grew up. I wanted to be that guy. I wanted to be the guy who started family discussions. and. I'm pretty sure I'm the only radio show host who says if, if you're, there's kids in the car and they ask a question about something we're talking about, turn the radio off, have the conversation. We'll be back tomorrow. 
But the greatest compliment people give me, especially when I was doing the morning show, when people were more driving their kids to school, was I listen to you in the car with my kids. That is such an honor. And like that was me when I was a kid. And that's why I've always wanted to get into it. So there's my story. <laughs> Short and sweet, just like you said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was a little in between time there when I was in college because it's scary to get on the radio. It's like really scary. And I would practice by writing out editorials for the local college paper. And one day, the, the radio station was right across the street from my dorm room, literally right across the street. Like I could look out my window and see the radio station. I would never, like comically would never go in it because I was too scared. So I wrote this editorial and randomly, these two girls had this conservative radio show on WYBC. It's crazy that they had one. They read my editorial, invited me on. I went, turned the microphone on and it was the greatest feeling I've ever had in my entire life. And I said, I have to do this for the rest of my life. So it was my going into my senior year. So I talked to the program director on my way out. And I said, can I stay this summer and do a show? And he said, yeah, you can. Because what do we care? And uh, that's what I did. So that summer was my first summer. But I would never forget that moment. First time microphone on. And here we are, I don't know, just 18 years later, maybe something like that. 17 years later. The moment that you turned the microphone on and you started talking, did you feel something inside of you that felt right? That this was your calling? Yeah, I've never felt it since. I can tell you that. It was liberating. It was freeing. It was exciting. It was terrifying. <laughs> and honestly, it was interesting. Like, it's really funny. I still get hints of it. Literally, I'm not exaggerating. When we started this, I was sitting here and I was, I got like a little butterflies. And like, Kelly, you're amazing. And this is awesome and super fun and super casual, but still like I got a little bit of like super healthy butterflies of, oh, this is fun. Turn this, here's like this microphone. Let's turn it on and let's go and see what happens. So uh, I still get that excitement. That's pretty incredible. That excitement, Mike, it's, it's your true calling, right? And it's a true calling for any entrepreneur. Now, people ask me, why did you get into law? I literally tell them I was born to be a lawyer. I don't have any lawyers in my family, zero. They're all in the medical field. I'm the one that decided to go into business because of my dad. He became an entrepreneur. And I wanted to do law because I know that I can help people. I absolutely love what I do. And that's coming from a practicing attorney. And when you say that was your calling, from there, how did you become, well, obviously you've moved out to San Diego because you're on talk show radio here in San Diego. How did you make that move from New York to San Diego? I, I 100% want to answer that question. But first, I got to ask you, I got to ask you something. I can't, <laughs> this is what I do. <laughs> I was just waiting. <laughs> <laughs> it is, am- and it's amazing. Like, I hope everyone can feel that feeling or at least a hint of that feeling of finding your calling because it's an amazing thing. And I thank God for it. But when you say lawyering is your calling, when you showed me that binder of documents for starting my own business, like I couldn't fathom like the legalese and the detail and the intricacies, like it looked horrible. Like I would (laughs) hate to do that. I would just, that would be my hell, but you love it. And I couldn't understand, but then I just got it. You said you love it because you're helping people. Exactly. That's it, what it my, is. It, exactly. it can't like no way is your calling like going through paperwork, right? Like of the legalese of the state of California. Like that sounds horrific for everyone. But I'm guessing, and I'm I know I'm one of many, but like for you to see the joy that it brings me and my family, like that's that's it, right? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that joy that it's brought you and your family, it's brought hundreds and thousands of my clients the same joy. And I actually am blessed too, Mike, very blessed that I am living the dream, the life that I've always dreamt of, always. America is the greatest country on earth. Mm-hmm. Obviously, from my accent, I wasn't born and raised here. I was born and raised in jolly old England. Mm-hmm. But England couldn't provide me with the same opportunities that America has. America has become my home. It's in my heart. And I love every opportunity that it provides entrepreneurs. So this show, again, it's all about promoting entrepreneurship. And America is the number one country in the world that actually promotes entrepreneurship. So I always get extremely excited when I meet with entrepreneurs because they do have that passion, just like you. You know what your calling is, you discover it. And eventually these entrepreneurs discover their calling. And the next thing that they have to do is let me set the business up properly. Let me get my legal ducks in a row so I can really focus on what I do best, which is running the business. Now, going back to you, and I did introduce you as a fellow entrepreneur. I, I love that, Mike. Welcome to the light, the brilliant side of business. Yeah, it's a whole new world for me now. I'm in the club. <laughs> yes, you are. You're in the club. <laughs> tell me about that move and tell me about yeah. how you stayed on track to actually doing what you're doing now. Yeah, which yeah. Is- oh, yeah. And I'll answer your previous question too. Sorry. So the little funny story, I was in college and I knew this is what I wanted to do. And I did that first year of WYBC. And we were coming back from spring break in Florida. We were driving back and my buddy, Dufek, in the back of his car had an atlas, one of like the big road atlases. And I said, hey, man, can I borrow this? So I took it and I circled all the cities that I would maybe want to move to. And they're mostly in the South because I'm conservative and I thought that would be a good place to go and be fun. And all my friends were going to DC and uh, New York some in LA, but I thought I'd do something different. So I Google all these things. And I went to every website and, and then found the talk radio stations of those cities and found the program director and wrote a letter to the program director and like did a little research so I could write like a little personalized like beginning sentence. So it wasn't just like to whom it may concern. Right. And I did it for a hundred stations. And I got one call back from a station. I wish I knew where it was. Maybe I can find it. And it said, we don't have any openings in talk radio do you speak Spanish? We need a Spanish language DJ. And I was like, <laughs> no, I took seven years of it, but no, I don't. So I sent out one more. I'm, I'm not even, I, this sounds made up. I sent out 101 resumes and it was to this little station in Jackson, Tennessee, in between Memphis and Nashville. It was the one station. They didn't even have a website. So I couldn't even find out who the program director was to send a personalized letter. So it was literally the one that I wrote to whom it may concern or like the generic vague equivalent of that. And it turned out it was to Ron Haney and he called me back and I was sitting, I was in a class at the Yale Law School. I didn't go to the Yale Law School, but there, I had a class in the Yale Law School. It wasn't even a lawyer class. So I know you thought we could like bond over that. No, there was like nothing to do with lawyering. <laughs> no. uh, but I distinctly remember getting a call and taking it and I was like, I'll be there tomorrow. Like I'll, I'll hop in a plane as soon as I can to get out there. So that was the beginning of it. And what are the chances? Like, that's crazy. That's crazy. Anyway. I was reflecting on that because there should have been years and years of being a producer or whatever before you get that first job. It just doesn't make any sense. So then how do you stick with it? I I just did did four years in Tennessee and then I wrote an editorial for the local paper about something, I forget, and Neil Cavuto on Fox News, his producers read it and invited me to be on the show. 
And I drove to Memphis, which is like an hour and a half away and did it. And then from there, an agent in Nashville saw it and invited me to Nashville to talk to him. He introduced me to an agent in New York City. He knew the program director out in San Diego. Come on. What is that? (laughs) What is that story? That's ridiculous. You you were put on a path. I, I truly believe that everything happens for a reason. Everything. You don't know it at the time. But eventually it reveals itself and you think, oh, yes, it had to happen that way. And so that's how you ended up in San Diego. Yeah, it's wild. And I think now my <laughs> kids here and raising family here and meeting you and starting my own business, like, like that, all that stuff's crazy. Another thing I think when I get back on all that is every single thing happened. Well, first, God, but I did a thing. So like I sent out the 101 resumes and then to get on Fox News, I had to write the editorial. If I didn't write the editorial, Kabuto wouldn't have seen it. My agent wouldn't have seen it. He was, so all these things snowball. So it's that little bit extra hustle. It's like that one more thing is the one <laughs> that does it. So there's a lesson there too. So yeah, crazy. See, this is crazy. Now, there's, there's probably no way that you and I would have met just through regular channels. I have been listening to your show for at least about 500 years. <laughs> and you are absolutely fantastic, Mike. I love how you explain the situation. And, and it's so easy to understand. And I would never have met you in person if it wasn't for the route that I had to take as well. Mm. So living in San Diego, thought I would uh, create a commercial for local TV in San Diego. And the lovely ladies over at iHeartRadio gave me a call and they said, we've got great uh, marketing opportunities for you. And that's how I met you. And if it wasn't for that commercial, like I said, there's just no way that you and I would have met. So things do happen for a reason. And, and it's supposed to happen. I don't know what that word is. I don't know what it is, but they're supposed to happen. Why do they happen? Yeah. Is because you don't give up. Personally, you don't give up. I didn't sit back and say, I'm not going to create the commercial. I'm not going to push this business. I'm not going to do that. Every opportunity, everything that I see, Mike, it's always an opportunity. And I have to go after it. You don't know whether it's going to be the one for you, for your business or not. But you'll you'll never find out until you actually go for the opportunity. I know. And it's so hard. So I made something a while back and was too scared to market it properly because it's a risk. It's an investment and it's a risk. And guess what happened? Nothing happened with it. Didn't sell a thing because why would I market it? So it's hard for me. I'm a risk adverse person by my nature. So that's something as an entrepreneur, I need to really work on and take those risks because you can't win if you don't play. If you're not in <laughs> you know? the game, exactly. So how do you do that? How do you work through risks or advise your clients to overcome these hesitations, to say the least? Risk is part of being an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurs, when we wake up in the morning, we have no idea what's going to happen that day. You could be chasing business. You could be chasing new clients. You could be chasing a different marketing channel or marketing avenue. As an entrepreneur, you have no idea. It's not as if I wake up and I go, and work for a boss man or a boss lady, mm-hmm. and I punch in my eight, nine hours a day, It's there's zero risk in that, right? Risk is the number one thing that really sets entrepreneurs apart from everyone else. 
When it comes to yeah. taking risks, you have to evaluate risk. And in fact, Mike, risk can be a beautiful thing. Just like you said, you created something and nothing happened because you sat on it and nothing happened. Nothing will happen. Mm-hmm. You have to believe in this is how I handle risk. I've always been taught, again, by my dad, my father, that if I want something, I have to go after it with my heart. I can't half-ass it. I, I can't yeah. just put one toe in and say and check the water out. So I have to go yeah. after it. But th- there are different types of risks. There, there are financial risks. There are, are business risks. There are partnership risks. Right. But you have to do at least some sort of homework before you jump in. If this is the path for you, you stuck to your guns. Look at you. You have one of the most successful shows here in San Diego radio show. Right. You're also a host of the first, aren't you? That that's a TV the show. TV show. Yeah. TV yes. show on the first. Yeah. Exactly. And you also are a speaker and an author as well. So you are a definition of an entrepreneur and you need to embrace risk, even though you say you're risk adverse, you're not comfortable with risk, look at it, don't shy away from it, look at what the risk is. That's how I approach it. And this is how I counsel my my clients as well. Talk to me about it, because they usually use me as a sounding board. Again, anything you need, call Kelly. Uh Did you ever see that show? It was called Better Call Saul. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) My clients, that's what they say, Better Call Kelly. Better Call Kelly, absolutely. (laughs) Put on speed dial. Exactly. I I think, yes. And I always had this, I don't even know what, like, I expected the riches to come pouring down. You know what I mean? Oh my God, me too. I created a thing (laughs) and come on, everyone, everyone buy it. Of course you'll buy it. I'm a millionaire. And it's now like, you have to hustle hard to do it, which gives me so much respect for all business owners embarking on this journey. But the successful ones, man, good for you. You took all the risks you talked about, all the types of risks. They took them. And I bet they got burned a lot. Absolutely. Uh, and But they got up. My dad, I'll never forget this. It was my first year here in San Diego. So it was my first year making like money. In Tennessee, I made $22,000 a year. Or it was twenty-two dollars or $23,000 a year. I made $1,000 more than I could to qualify for the state children's health insurance benefit. Because I was like young enough and poor enough that I could have signed up on welfare. So anyway, so my first year making money in San Diego and I and like the IRS took a ton of money. Right. Like a ton. Like more money than I made, right? In in, in Tennessee. And I called my dad who owned his own business, employee of one and the dog. And I said, "Dad, what the heck? What am I doing? What do I do?" And he said, "Oh, you're not a man yet. You're not a man because you haven't lost all your money yet." Yes. And I never I never asked him what the heck that meant. I just took it as like a verbal slap across the face, snap out of it, man. But after he passed away, I learned that my dad had like really bad business troubles once or twice. I never knew. This was before I was born or before I think I was young, really young. So I didn't even know if my mom didn't tell me that I wouldn't have known. I wish I talked to him more about those difficult business and how he got out of it. But the, and the lessons he learned, I totally missed that because I didn't know. I didn't know he had those things, but he got burned and maybe made bad decisions or maybe unjustly got burned. And that's part of the game too. But what's the rest of the sentence? But you keep going. Absolutely. Absolutely, Mike. And again, that's ingrained in being an entrepreneur. When I went into law and I started working for the largest international law firm in the world at the time, not one time did I ever think that I was going to own my own law firm Mm. or 
open a separate business or invent something or write a book or even speak. I had no idea. It wasn't even an inkling in my mind. I was absolutely, absolutely. In fact, Mike, you probably don't know this about me, but in school growing up, I was so, so shy. Little old me, right? I was extremely shy. I I would hope and pray that the teacher didn't pick on me and hated public speaking, hated communicating with people. But this is the beauty about being an entrepreneur. When you find your calling, I think you become unstoppable. I had to learn everything that I am today. I had to learn it. And that's the thing that your dad did as well as an entrepreneur. He kept going because he knew in his heart what he wanted to do. I know in my heart that I could never go back to the corporate world. I couldn't work for anyone, never again. And as long as you have that trust and faith in yourself, there's nothing that can stop you. Yeah, what's really interesting about that story, and there's an interesting psychological analysis here that, and it's a kind of which came first, but being the entrepreneur has allowed you to be the true you, like the real you. And it's enlightened and enlivened Kelly. Right. (laughs) That's amazing. That's really interesting. So you talk about how you had to like reinvent and then learn, learn is the word you said. You had to learn these things, which is definitely true. But also finding that passion brought the real you out at the same time. And that just like, it's like exponential from there. Wow, that's amazing. Because So if you work for the man... I don't want to describe it as like an oppressive state because there's a lot of security that comes from that and a lot of good things that come from that too. And you can have a great job. I'm not demeaning that. But But if you, maybe if you're on the fence about becoming that entrepreneur, maybe one of the incentives can be, maybe the real you can pop up. You have to think about what's the life you want to live? What's life you want to live? Do you want to get up every day, get ready, go invest eight, nine, 10 hours for someone else, come home, dead on your feet, barely have family time and then do it all over again for the next 10, 20, 30 years. Is that the life you want to live? If it is, it's okay. You know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. That's fantastic for you. But if that's not the life, and especially during this global pandemic, right, Mike, people, they are forced to work from home. People have been laid off. It's a very, very sad situation as to what's going on globally. And entrepreneurs that actually became entrepreneurs right before the shutdown, I think they're the ones that are more prosperous rather than the employees that there have been so many layoffs. It's unbelievable. It's quite heartbreaking. But as an entrepreneur, you have full control over your life and how much money you want to make, right? It's a matter of, obviously, there are steps. It's very scary being an entrepreneur. Like you just said, nothing's guaranteed. It's very risky. But if you have faith and confidence in yourself, again, that's what's going to keep driving you forward. There's going to be multiple rejections. Do you think I've never got rejected by <laughs> by businesses or clients? But it, it's the way you adapt. Like you said, the true you comes out at the end. I would never change my life for anything at this point. So I have an incredible loving husband. I have four dogs, my associates. <laughs> I get to work from the home office. I get to pick and choose my clients, but I didn't get there overnight. There's, every entrepreneur has a story. Everyone does. Right? And, and so do you as well. This is your calling. This is how you feel. You have something to say. If someone wanted to follow in your footsteps, Mike, what would you advise them to do? Write 101 letters? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So do you mean specifically like they want to be like in the radio world? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, that's so interesting because it's so different now. 
because of here we are right on a podcast. Yeah. So specifically, it's so funny. I was talking to this was a couple of years ago, and I was talking to a top podcaster, like one of the top podcasts. And I said, and I wanted to get into podcasting, like like more maybe like I don't want to say off AM radio, but like more into the podcasting world because it's different. It's a different vibe as we have here. I have people world. for you, Mike. You. <laughs> There you go. I You're in the people. world. I have and, people for you. Just let me know when you want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you've never let me down. So I talked to this podcaster. I was like, how do I get into podcasting? And he goes, hold on. How do I get into AM radio? Exactly. Right? And I was like, exactly. oh, I get <laughs> weird. Like we, like we each want the different thing. Ah, oh, you know what? I don't even know. I think I, I can't even give you a practical step-by-step because things are, the world's so different right now that, about how to get started and it's hard. But I, I think the first thing is you can't be afraid. So I'll give you two general things. You can't be afraid and you have to be authentic. That's People it. are desperate for authenticity and it's hard because you want to put your best face or you want to do this or you want to pretend to be this but people can smell a phony from a mile away and i know that's true on am radio because i've had some stories in the beginning where i tried to be a phony i tried to be something different and I, maybe it was something about people in tennessee they saw right through it i'll tell you a real quick funny story i was doing a story i was in tennessee and i was doing a story on the bull weevil and how there was a bull weevil that was like ruining the crops in tennessee it was like a big bull weevil infestation or something I must have said something that made it think that I thought a bull weevil was an animal, like a, <laughs> like a rabbit or something. And I didn't know what a bull weevil was, but I must have said something like I thought it was an animal. So some guy called in and he said, oh, Slater, I trap bull weevils and I sell their furs. And I was like, what? Tell me more. Like, what is like, <laughs> How do you catch them? And he's, oh, I have, we have these traps set up and they look like this and the bull weevil gets in it. Blah, blah. And I was like, what do you do with the furs? And he's, oh, I got a guy in Memphis and I sell him to the guy. And he told me like this whole thing was like a 10 minute story. And I hung up the phone and the phone just went just lit up with people just cracking up at me because the bull <laughs> weevil was a little tiny bug. And they were just busting up like, oh, Slater, that guy got you. He got you. And first of all, I felt like such an idiot. And my program director was like, no, no, it's good. It means they like you because they can poke fun at you. So it's like you're part of the crew here in the South, which is cool. But it was also like, don't fake it. Don't pretend to be, oh yeah, like here I am, Mike Slater from New York, some Yankee coming down to the South. Here's all about the bull weevils. Just be honest. Be like, I don't know what the heck a bull weevil is. Oh, right, right. Or whatever the thing is, like be real, be honest, be authentic. And uh, people will appreciate that. And I, I guess that's true for anything. It truly is. It's true, especially in San Diego, right? Because where, where it's so easy to be phony. Yes. Yes. In California in particular. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> LA is like the king of phoniness. It's just nonstop phoniness. And I think we get a little of that in San Diego too. Anyway, I interrupted you. Sorry. No, that, that's perfectly fine. I just want to take a quick second and thank our sponsor, if you don't mind, Mike. Bagler Law Firm, a trusted name in business law, providing legal solutions to entrepreneurs. Definitely check out baglerlaw.com and see how they can help you start and run your business. All righty, back to Mike. So, Mike, if you had to do it all over again, what would you change? Ooh. I had to do it all over again. What would I change? I would have done... So I'm having trouble answering this question because 
I have such a good life and things are so good and we have a great family and amazing wife and everything's really good. Uh, if I had to change anything, I would have started the business from the jump because now it's a little difficult, like transferring things over. And there's like, an, like we already have this way of doing things. So if I just did a business from the start, like I needed a Kelly Bagla when I was 22 and like, why not? I don't know why 22 year olds don't just start their own business. They yeah. just have it. And then you can fill it in later, but start from the jump that way. I think that would have been much better. And then I would have been able to train my entrepreneurial mind and my entrepreneurial business mind over these last 15 years, as opposed to just my radio mind. I think that would have been helpful. My grandpa, he owned his own business and my dad owned his own business and they all were just one employee. So it's it's somewhere in the blood, <laughs> but it still would have been good these last 15 years to have trained that mind. So yeah, I would have done it from the jump. Maybe that would be my advice to younger people is do it as soon as possible. Excellent advice. I know that you are a history major. What type of history do you enjoy? Yeah, well, American. That was my like my focus of my major. But we talked to an author on my TV show today, and we're going to do it on my radio show today. This guy's, it's Kevin C. Lyons. I recommend this book. It's called The DNA of Democracy. And he does it as clearly as possible. He tells all these stories, and he starts in ancient times. He starts in Jerusalem, starts in ancient Rome, starts in ancient Greece. And he tells the story of America starting from those ancient periods. And these ancient, he calls them the crucibles, like incredibly difficult, traumatic, horrific times that people fought and persevered, the theme of our talk today, and did not give up. And out of that came democracy in Athens, in Greece, right? Out of that came uh, Rome. Out of that came freedom out of Jerusalem. And then out of all that came ultimately United States of America. Even these ancient stories, it's our story. And I think the best introduction I've ever read to that is this book, The DNA of Democracy. I would highly recommend it. And read it with your kids because if kids today know our story, and I don't want to go into a whole political thing here, but if kids knew our story today, they'd have so much more appreciation like you do as an immigrant. And we talked on the TV show the other day with someone from Albania. as Albania just north of Greece. And he grew up in communist, like straight up communist country. And no one loves this country more than immigrants right. who get it who know right. the alternative. And like you were in England and England's not like an oppressive communist state. No, but still no. America's better. And still you appreciate America way more. So imagine these people who come from like real, like abject oppression and poverty. They love this place. Yet we have so many Americans here who take it for granted and still dog it because they don't understand what the alternatives really are because they've just lived in their whole life. They don't know any different. Um, and then I think it's same thing true with when it comes to appreciate or like wanting to take the risk. As you said, you can't take these risks in other countries. So if you live in America and you're not taking these risks, what a missed opportunity that is. Because that guy in Albania would do anything to take a risk. He can't. And here we can and don't. Maybe that's another kick in the pants too. Just to add to that real quickly, Mike, immigrants, right? Immigrants that come to this great country from all around the world. Why is it that Indians from India, they yeah. come here to America they don't know how to read or write. They can barely speak English, but yet they own businesses. How is that possible? Yeah. You tell me. Yeah. If you look at the, oh, this is a whole thing. We have this weird perception in America that the minorities are, we like put them into groups of like black and white. Maybe if there's more nuance, it's like black, brown, and white. And I like, I hate all this stuff so much. But if you want to play that game and you want to dig deeper and deeper, 
the ethnic groups that have the highest incomes. Indian Americans are number one by far. Crush white America. I'm making these numbers up, but it's pretty close. Like the, it's like the average household income, whatever. It's like a hundred. It's over a hundred thousand dollars for Indian Americans, and the average for white, it's like fifty or something. It's like, like way, way different. And if you break down all those groups, it's all those uh, ethnic groups in that part of the world are near the top. And anyway, it's cultural. That's why I always go back to it's cultural. And I think there's a culture in India of hard work and and Asian cultures and respect and like following the rules and doing what needs to be done and respecting your family and your family name and doing the right thing and like all the things that work well in a capitalist country uh, i think is in those cultures we need more of that <laughs> we, need, we, <laughs> Locally, need more of people, right? we need more of people with that culture here and we need to identify what those traits are and then embrace it in america as well for american but- kids when I first migrated here to America, I couldn't understand. I thought everyone were everyone was American. That was it, American, right? American citizens. In England, I'm yes, I'm Indian, but my my ethnicity is Indian. My nationality is English. Right? I am a British person. In England, we don't say I'm an Indian English. Yeah. We don't say that. I think that maybe that this whole dividing people into you know categories started when people started labeling these ethnic groups as black American or African Americans. Some of these black people that are born here and raised here, they've never been to Africa. No. Their ancestors have never been to Africa. So how is it that now all of a sudden you, you've got Asian Americans and, and Indian Americans and African Americans? We're all Americans. I think that should be the the bare minimum that everyone should embrace. We are all Americans. That's where it starts from. Yep. It's one of the worst things that exist in this country is like this hyper ethnic division, the, the, the hyphenization of America. It's a terrible thing. But when we don't teach what America is, and that kind of takes us back to this DNA of democracy book, if we don't know who we are, then all we can be are these splintered, fractioned groups as opposed to American. And when our kids are taught that America is a bad place, then you don't even want to put the American part in the hyphen, right? Now you don't even want the like Indian American. You want to take that part out. So now we're just completely separated and divided and no good can come from that. It should never, ever have happened that way. It should never have happened. I think people need to start recognizing, yes, they are Americans. Because again, as a migrant, right? America is the greatest country on earth. It's the greatest country. Anyone, don't care if you're black, white, purple, green, don't care who you are, what you look like. Everyone has opportunities here and it's up to you as an individual to chase those opportunities. I personally would have, (laughs) if I was going to stay in my cultural setting, right? I would have, uh, if I was going to go into law, I would have done something like immigration law or I would have done yeah, definitely immigration law. But I chose to step out of all of those norms. I didn't even look at those norms. All I wanted to do was follow my heart. So I chose the hardest practice of law, which was corporate law. And at that time, Mike, there was only probably about 3% of minorities that were in corporate law. This was 17 years ago, 3%. And on top of that, there was probably about 1% that were only females in corporate law. 
I didn't let any of that stop me. I just charged ahead. This is what I want to be and this is what I'm going to become. If people start really believing in themselves, right? You have to have that confidence in yourself. You've got to, you've got to know who you are, first of all, and follow your path, follow your dream. And when that entrepreneurial shipping side of you comes knocking, you'll know exactly that it's time to make that move and start a life that you want to live. Did you even think when you started the corporate law that you were an Indian English woman? Or were you just like, I'm Kelly and I'm going to crush it? I'm Kelly and I'm going to crush it. And I've been crushing it ever since, Mike. (laughs) There we go. Ever since. Yeah, that's super important. That's super important that you didn't even really consider the identities that you were of. Who cares? No, no, exactly. Exactly. All I knew was I was in this great country and it was giving me all these opportunities that I was going to chase to the fullest. And here I am now. I have my own podcast. I'm interviewing an incredible public figure right now. And, you know, life is good. Who? Who's coming up next? Who's this next person you're going (laughs) to... Um, no, exactly. what, what, a, what a story. And that's it. I th- we've touched on so many awesome themes. Yeah. It's not considering these, it's just doing, it's doing what you know is right and taking the risk and seeing where it goes. And even if you fail, at least you fail doing what you really wanted to do and what you thought was right. I don't know. Is that, is that a negative note or is that a positive? I think that's a positive note. And I'll add on to that. If you fail, what entrepreneurs do They get up, they brush themselves up, and they start all over again. And Mm -hmm. that's how you get these success stories. And just to finish up, you're talking about some brilliant authors and the successful businesses that they've run. One of them, I had Mike Lindell. Everyone that watches TV, Mike Lindell. I don't know whether you've read his book yet or listened to it. What a story, Mike. He is the true definition of what an entrepreneur is. Incredible story. Yeah, I mean, it's similar in a way of an immigrant who comes from a poor, poverty-stricken country or whatever. He was here, but made himself poverty-stricken or lived, grew up the drug addict and the whole thing. But if he can do it, then why not anyone else? A crackhead. Because he would he'd be the first to tell you he's not exceptional. Right, right. A crackhead to CEO. Every yeah. entrepreneur, everyone that's interested in business, they need to read his book. Yeah, and he, I understand last I talked to him, he's starting his own publishing house too to give more people opportunities as well. So that's what entrepreneurs do. They don't just make one thing. They don't just make pillows. They keep doing exactly. it. They keep going and going and going. Exactly, exactly. I would love to have him on the show, by the way, Mike. So if you know him, send him my way. <laughs> I will send you, I'll send you, uh, I'll hook you up. Well, I don't know him, but I know his producers or his person. We definitely made that happen. There you go. There you go. That's fantastic. It's been such a pleasure having you on the show, Mike. Kelly, you're the best, and you are coming on my show, so we can be even Steven. I look forward to that, and as far as the audience goes, the entrepreneurs that are listening to the show, they can certainly reach out to you because we're going to have your information as part of our show notes. All they have to do is download the app, go to any of your app stores, download Go Legal Yourself. You can contact me directly. You can contact any of our guests directly from the app. And is there anything else you'd like to share? with us before we have to conclude our meeting. Yeah, no, be courageous. Do it. I'm not a big stocks guy, but when the stocks tanked, that was the best time to buy the stocks. The yes. stock was like $100 and then it went to $10 and now it's back to 100 or whatever. So you should have bought when it was 10 and all the really rich, smart people did. And I think it's the same thing for your business. It doesn't seem like a good time to do it now, but maybe now's the best time. 
Exactly. Now is the best time. Absolutely. So remember, the only way you become successful is if you make today the day you go legal yourself. Mike Slater, thank you so much for your time being on the show. And I am Attorney Kelly Bagger, the Queen of Business Law, and it's been my pleasure being your host today. Until next time, cheers to your success. Produced by Heard Not Seen Media, visit imaginepodcasting.com for more information. Thank you.